Hello, and welcome to the RX for Biotech podcast. My guest today is Dr. Donald Davis, the president of 5280 Life Sciences Consulting. One of the things that I wanted to address today is that we know that many companies are looking at improving their margins, looking at cost efficiencies in light of today's business environment. As companies grow their headcount, they, be, they become less efficient. And Don is passionate about helping companies overcome organizational scaling challenges and growing pains. So Don, let's jump in and maybe start with asking you, what are scaling challenges? And can you tell us about how you've been helping companies overcome these growing pains? Yeah, I mean, I, maybe, um, you know, maybe just out of the out of the gate here, you know, the 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 first little bit maybe we should talk about is a, a little bit of my experience. So I spent quite a quite a long time in corporate America. So, uh, you know, uh, almost nearly 30, 30 years in corporate America, mostly working with with companies that were smaller companies that have been acquired. And so um, whenever I looked to, to start a consulting practice, I was really wanting to start a consulting practice around this idea of teaching companies how to scale or build scalable processes so that um, when and uh, you know if the moment presents itself for them to either grow much bigger, much faster, um, or for you know a company that gets acquired, uh, you have to have you know kind of a good solid base in place to be able to do that. And so that's what you know, more or less, you know, we focus on at 5280. We started with three key areas whenever uh, we initially started the, the consulting practice. So it was, it was focused around uh, really project management, uh, technology implementation and, and quality practices, which includes process improvement as well. And uh, the whole kind of base of this idea was around this central theme of how do we, how do we help companies not just like hire a consultant, but help them build skills that in the end will help them overall as an organization scale. So that's what that's where the idea came from and, and that's kind of where we built it from. And uh, you know, just one one last comment on this. So I did this more or less eight different times inside of GE Healthcare. So I worked at GE Healthcare for almost 18 years and they would acquire these companies that were like 50 to $100 million companies. And, uh, you know, I'd get this phone call that, you know, hey, look, this is this company that we bought. It's in distress. Uh, you know, the organization's not scaling properly. You know, can you kind of upend your life and go, you know, help them? And so, um, you know, I'd show up frequently on site with this idea of, you know, look, here's a hundred people or, you know, a little bit more than a hundred people on site and uh, they're counting on me to get this right. And so uh, you know, I did that eight different times for GE and then kind of carried the same thing through to Beckton Dickinson and others, you know, as I move forward. And so now I'm, I'm happy to be doing it with, you know, newer companies in our space in the life sciences space. That's a great overview to get things started. I think, I think for some of our listeners, it might be good to dive right into the scaling challenges a bit more. Um, that I think for some folks who aren't as deeply immersed as you are, this might be a tough concept to understand. So, could if you could maybe talk a little bit about what that is specifically, and how are you helping those, your clients overcome scaling challenges currently? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about the 
let's let's talk about maybe a startup to start, right? So you're a company of let's say three people, and you know you're sitting around a table, maybe maybe you're on the phone frequently, but oftentimes you're sort of talking about how's the business performing. What is the next thing that we have to go do? What's the next major thing that we have to go do? That's pretty easy whenever you're fairly small. And as you grow to like 10 people, that that sort of challenge um, is more or less the same, right? So I, I kind of tell people, look, if you can fit your entire team inside of a small conference room, um, most likely you're not going to face any of these problems. It's still too early for me. Uh, to get involved with you. There's a lot of other reasons that, you know, smaller companies involve me. You know, one is, you know, I've interacted a lot with VCs that help build pitches. I mean, I've done an awful lot of things in our space, but um, the as they get to that point, let's say your Series A funding comes in, the first sort of challenge that most VCs start to give organizations is, okay, so now you've got money. How are you going to scale? Show me that you're going to scale. Show me that you can get to 20 people or 30 people or whatever. And what seems to happen as you start to scale an organization like that, you become less and less efficient, which is one of the things that I oftentimes describe to people is like, do you feel like, you know, even though you've added people, you have, you get less done in the day and yet you personally have more to do. That to me is a key indicator of an organization that needs my services, you know, uh, of, you know, what we do at 5280. And so um, you know, a lot of a lot of what we do with with leaders and the rest of the organization is, first of all, assess what's broken. And then from there, you know, we move more or less into this concept of how do we build based processes? How do we set things up in a sustainable way so that they're repeatable and things like that? And, um, you know, really help help people, you know, more or less through this delegation phase as well so that they can clearly delegate to people and hand off things that they should no longer be managing as they're getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I know you talked to me about, um, and I'd love for you to to share a little bit with our listeners is your scaling method is method assessment. So it sounds like that this is a good time to talk about that in terms of how, to, how you take companies to these assessments to, I guess, is this a way to assess like their current baseline? It is. Yeah. So the, the scaling method assessment really kind of takes people from like a, an organization that's very early stage to maybe evolving all the way through to somebody that, you know, might be checking all the boxes. I, you know, I definitely don't want to discredit anybody that has you know, a lot of experience in the fact that they might, might be actually be doing it right. Occasionally we do find, you know, the, Hey, look, you know, nine out of the 10, you know, sort of, you know, key assessment factors are all checked off here. And, you know, look, there's, there's one key area that you really need to focus on in your organization, kind of move things forward. Um, however, there is an assessment online that's like, uh, I think 28 questions or something like that for an organizational leader to take. Uh, you can go to 5280LSCLifeScienceConsulting.com uh, and, you know, in there you'll see courses, click on that button and you'll see the assessment. You take the assessment and at the very end, it asset, it overall provides you kind of a, a rating score in terms of, you know, where you're currently at and what you might focus on on next um, what we do on site more or less is a 
bit more in depth. It's something that's that's much more structured around, um, you know, a much more in depth assessment with full details for the organizational team to to kind of take a look at where do we go first in terms of attacking these particular problems. I think, Don, you know, we're seeing a lot in the news, companies, large companies and small companies alike, um, you, you know, kind of experimenting with new commercial models, looking at ways to improve their margins in, in light of sort of slowdowns in top line revenue, um, cost cutting and so forth. So maybe let's pivot over into quality and process improvement services that you also provide and talk about within that context. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the types of services you provide there and how are you helping life science clients create a more efficient and effective organization? Sure. So, um, I mean, again, to start a little bit with, uh, with a bit of my background. So while I was at GE, um, I, I received uh, certification as a master black belt there uh, in Six Sigma. Also spent a lot of time in lean that helped to, uh, to transition the organization at GE from a manufacturing only lean practice to one that also practiced in the office. Um, and we did full business transformations there. So, you know, if somebody needed, you know, to make a major shift in their business, that's what we did uh, in on a routine basis. Um, one of the key improvements, you know, overall that, uh, that a lot of people attribute my name to is this idea of actually improving MRI implementation cycle time from 60 days down to eight. And there's an article that's written in the Harvard Business Business Journal that addresses this exact improvement inside of GE. And, and uh, you know, the, at that time, the CEO, you know, spotlighted that work, you know, as well. As businesses take a look, though, at the current challenges that they're facing, you know, one of the things that I've, I've said is that, you know, as much as we may want to actually stop spending you know things on on you know maybe future investments and things like that the reality is that may actually prevent you from being around as a company in the future the other way to look at this problem is where can i reduce the cost for things that i currently have so that i can free up cash to go you know spend money in other places and so you know some of the some of the work that you know our our team is doing right now is around this whole idea of you know actually working inside of organizations to implement better processes so that they can you know it more effectively you know work but also you have people that every single day their job 100% is rework and so you know one of the one of the key questions that we normally go through in in our discussions with key leaders is you know do you do you already have a list of things that you want to go after do you know what those things are or do you need us to like you know come in and and help you assess it because that's you know sometimes we're more or less starting from scratch and needing to point to the big targets that are around as well. And sometimes, I mean, I find it just a great opportunity you know, to go into an organization, have an honest conversation about where do you feel you know the most drag, right? Where where you feel the most cost is coming from, uh, and and those sort of things. Let's actually go you know look at the financials and and see where the improvements are. And then oftentimes, you know, we come back together as, you know, as an overall team and say, 
these are the right target areas. We'll pick two or three target areas and go after those. And then with the full idea that we'll come back, you know, at some some later date and time and and actually, uh, you know, implement other changes at, at a later date as well. No, that's actually very interesting because I know you and I share sort of similar uh, experiences as, as Black Belts and Six Sigma and Lean. And I know that in many of my roles, I've really been focused on trying to um, bring in those principles of sort of change management and looking at how to improve processes and, and so forth. I think one of the things I'm interested to hear more about is in the life science space, we're seeing companies now where in the manufacturing space, where in many ways the process is the product when we're talking about things like advanced regenerative medicine, cell therapies, gene therapies, there's this growing need to really educate and train around process, green belt training, uh, quality, commercial quality is a huge area right now. Tell me a little bit about, about that. Where do you see sort of the quality and process improvement space and how are you helping clients in, in that space within life sciences to help just get them up to speed is even just from a, just of a training perspective. I see a lot of, you, you conduct a lot of training sessions. I see. Yeah. I mean, one of the, so one of the approaches that I honestly oftentimes try and take is, is um, you know, just to understand whether or not if the client is, is really looking for, you know, branded training. That's one of the things that we, you know, we can certainly offer, you know, lean and six Sigma branded training uh, for the organization. We also though can unbrand it. So we can totally remove the lean and six Sigma, you know, names from things. And, uh, you know, certainly just come in with the idea of process improvement as well, right? Because I, I, I've faced both, uh, both sort of challenges in the in the industry. One is, you know, people that definitely want quote unquote, Six Sigma training or a Six Sigma master black belt or black belt to, you know, come and do those things. And uh, I'm more than happy to, uh, to, to do that uh, for organizations. On the flip side, though, I've also faced, you know, organizations say, hey, look, you know, we, we'd like to remove all the mystery and myth around, uh, you know, lean and Six Sigma and just have an honest conversation about how do we process improve, right? And so we'll, we'll do both. Um, I mean, oftentimes with teams around a central theme, um, we will do rapid training with those individuals. So, you know, normally the morning of day one in an event is spent sort of immersive training with folks around, you know, what specifically, you know, is a defect, is a defect, you know, what specifically is, you know, transportation waste and things like that. And so we'll go through, you know, kind of brainstorming, you know, with them so that they walk away with the base understanding of like, this is how, you know, lean works, or this is how, you know, what Kaizen is, you know, what, what, you know, change for the better actually is. Um, so we'll do all of that sort of thing with clients. And then more or less, if clients say, hey, look, we want full green belt training uh, as well, we will talk to them about structuring an actual certification program and, and you know, more or less from start to finish what a, uh, what a green belt certification program could look like as well. Do you have a Maybe a, a use case you could share for like how you're helping a client with a process improvement or in the, either currently or from the past. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, this one, you know, for me is more recent, uh, as recent as last week. So, uh, you know, one, one that's, you know, really, really current. Um, 
and and this is where I mean, so one of the things that I feel like people that are doing process improvement on a regular basis do is you have to be a facilitator. You also have to have this beginner's mind, right? You have to sort of take a new look at problems that maybe an organization has been looking at for a long time and ask a lot of questions and ask the team to probe. And then lastly, as a facilitator, you also need to be able to pivot on your feet, right? And so uh, so last week, I was actually working with a team, went in with the idea that, hey, look, we we're going to value stream map uh, an entire process. We we're going to start, you know, at one end of the process and then work our way all the way through to, you know, when when the item was solved and, and on the shelf. And uh, then we we're going to create the, the future state process, you know, kind of outlining the, the better state. As everybody looked at the current state and they just said, look, I, I, there's just too many problems here. I mean, the reality is we need to start over again. And, uh, you know, if we if we can't be honest with ourselves about that, you know, then, you know, where, where are we going to be at the end of the day? And so as a facilitator, you know, I'm sitting there going, you know, this is a bit uncomfortable because I came in here with the idea of this scope of work and, you know, this is what we're going to do. But at the same time, all the key stakeholders are just like, this thing is way broken, broken beyond just like incremental process improvements. We need a major shift and we're going to, we're going to call the ball right now and just say that's what it is. And, um, and as a facilitator, from my standpoint, it's fun. It's a fun point in time because you also go, this could actually be the moment where this this organization takes a left turn and goes in a totally different direction and finds just complete satisfaction with uh, with fixing the the problems that they face. Right. So so for me, um, it was a great great moment in time. Um, you know, I can't talk about the details, obviously, of you know what specifically we fixed, but at the same time, I, this is one of those moments where I really sort of sat there and said it's. A, important as a facilitator to not hold on to the agenda, not hang on to, you know, everything that I know, but instead kind of embrace the fact that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm here to kind of help guide that next step then as we, as we go to shift. Okay. So what's the afternoon going to look like? How do we make sure then that everybody walks away with action items and we're going to go do something in the end? Because if we just sort of write stuff down on paper, we're never going to get anything done either. And it was a wonderful moment for me as a facilitator. So, yeah. That's awesome. I, you know, every process improvement initiative, right. Um, it often, you have to do stakeholder management, right? So while you ended up in a good spot, Don, with this example that you gave, nearly every initiative, you know, experiences some resistance from from various stakeholders. And I'm wondering if you have any tips for our audience around, like, how do you manage in a group, you know, folks who might be resisting change or or slow to accept the change? Yeah, so, the, I mean, there's, it's funny because there's, um, I've been through quite a few different uh, um, change management uh, courses as well, and one of the one of the key things that every change management you know course would teach you one is that you need to be kind of paying attention to the to the audience a little bit, but the the secondary key part of that is really understanding for people that are wanting to hold their ground why and um, and oftentimes the between 
um, you know, Cotter's eight steps, uh, you know, change management, which is more or less like a top down model, which is, you know, uh, sort of gauging and watching the senior, most senior leaders in the room. But also for me, as somebody that that has facilitated hundreds of these events now, um, one of the key things that I also want to pay attention to is what shift happens at the lowest level, the people that are actually going to have to go do the work, not necessarily the people that are going to lead or point the direction. Right. And, um, and so for me, you know, again, it's, it's a bit of watching, engaging those two areas. And the moment that you sense that somebody is not, you know, on board, drawing that out and making them kind of uncover it in front of, you know, kind of the broader group. Cause sometimes, you know, people need an advocate, they need somebody to sort of, you know, say, hey, look, you know, this may be easy for you to say, let's go fix it this way. But this is this is going to be one of the hardest things to do in terms of implementing. And I feel like that's one of the things that I help clients do the most is sort of navigating that politics of, you know, how do you how do you make sure that both the senior leaders as well as the the folks that actually have to implement are all on board. Um, and I do watch for the quietest people in the room as well. I mean, one of the things that I that I oftentimes tell people that are learning to facilitate that, you know, we really need to be watching the person who's not saying anything either, because that person probably has ideas that just are, they're just not having an opportunity to sort of voice them. And so, you know, again, as a facilitator, you need to be able to draw those things out. So you have a lot of experience in this area. You've led a lot of projects. So I have to ask you just here for what part of the process or is there a specific tool in your toolbox? Because as a black belt practitioner, there's a lot of tools and change management and process improvement initiatives you could utilize. And I realize it varies a lot depending on the type of project and so on and so forth. But is there a particular tool that you really enjoy utilizing and applying in a particular use case that you want to talk about a little bit? I mean, for most organizations, my my ultimate favorite, I mean, it's so I mean, I'll kind of maybe I should start here. So I started out with, you know, in the Jack Welsh era at GE learning about, you know, Six Sigma, just Six Sigma. And you learn a lot of statistics and how to analyze problems and how to sort of, you know, set up things in repeatable ways and, and have measurable processes as well, you know, kind of measurable output. And that is important. I, you know, I won't discount that. And then this lean thing came came along, which more or less was like, okay, so once you have the general sense of like what direction things are going, you know, yes, you could spend the next you know month analyzing things and and you know doing statistical analysis around it, but if the if every sort of indication is pointing the same way, most likely that's the thing that needs to be fixed, <laughs> and and so um, uh, the. You know, my personal tool set, you know, oftentimes, you know, is one where I fall, I'll fall back rapidly to, um, you know, guys, let's, let's make whatever problem it is visible for everybody. And I feel like value stream mapping is, you know, one of the greatest things for that. Um, you know, oftentimes I talk to teams about the fact that, you know, look, we can start at the current state value stream map, we'll map everything out, we'll move to the future state. But the last point in, um, it's sort of that process of current state, future state um, for me is gen 
generating a multi-generational plan that starts on like day zero to whatever future you know point that you have, right? So this could go out, let's say, a year in time uh, with checkpoints in between, right? So you're going to have checkpoints, you know, frequent checkpoints where you're saying, look, am I on track with the projects that I'm supposed to be working on or am I not? And if I'm not, then what am I doing to get back on track again? And uh, so, I mean, long answer to your very short question for me is, you know, number one, I oftentimes will relate back to to lean tools and then oftentimes also will revert to, uh, you know, value stream mapping and things like that. If something needs a deeper analysis, I can whip out, you know, the full Six Sigma toolkit. And, you know, we can we can do gauge R and R charts right. all day long. Yeah, that that's good. <laughs> No, I know. I know you can do that. I'm just wondering. I know there must have been a favorite there, and value stream mapping is a good one. I think just uh, just to throw in my favorite, I I really and I found a lot of utility with the fail, the FMEA, the failure modes sure. and effects analysis, because just for the listeners out there, that's a tool that's often used for risk assessment and risk mitigation. It's particularly useful in life sciences and drug development, cell therapy, gene therapies, and so forth, because it looks at the magnitude of potential risks, the likelihood of them occurring, and then putting together a risk plan for them. So it's a, it's a very useful tool. Um, I think that when you take teams through it, it, there's a lot of aha moments in there, Right, a lot of learnings there. So I don't know if you have a comment around FMEA. (laughs) No, I mean, I I think it's a great, I I mean, again, like you said, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great tool. It definitely one, it surfaces problems, and uh, two, it, it sort of, you know, points to, you know, ways that you can transition to more successful, you know, uh, points as well. The one thing that I would, you know, on the alt- on the opposite side, I mean, the one tool that I oftentimes will avoid, um, you know, whether it's in, in a, you know, even on the project management end, you get asked this quite frequently. You know, look, can we can we develop a a, a racy right? So oh, right. you know, the whole idea is yeah. you know, sort of figure out who's responsible for something, who's accountable, you know, who needs to be communicated to, and and things. And and so I, it, what's funny to me is how many times people will fall back to that tool, thinking that it's it's some great, you know and wonderful thing. And I'm like, look, beyond initial team creation, um, you know, to me, a racy is something that gets put in the drawer pretty quickly. So I, I would not waste my time with a middle-aged team. You know, it's somebody that's been around for a while doing a racy. Look, if you guys don't know who's responsible, accountable, and needs to be communicated to or informed, uh, by now, um, <laughs> I don't know. You know what? Thank you for mentioning that. That's a great comment. I have to, I have to double down on your, on that. I think that's often when a team asks for a race, you, you know, that team's in trouble because people, you know, there's resistance or, you know, I think that if you're doing a good job mapping out a process, people, it generally kind of their responsibilities and accountabilities and their role are become pretty clear, but yeah, thanks. That's a good one. Look, I think as we wrap up here, Don, I mean, I could talk to you all day. Uh, this is interesting. I, I hope our listeners are finding this interesting. Uh, the process improvement world, um, it, it's an important area and in the quality world, even more so as, as again, these advanced regenerative medicines are, are coming through the market. I was wondering if you have any advice for biotech leaders 
or pharmaceutical leaders about preparing the organization for a successful commercial launch. If we just take all, embody all the knowledge that you have around process of improvement and scaling organizations, think about a company, maybe let's use the use case of a pre-commercial company that's just getting ready to launch their first product. What advice would you have for those leaders? It, in, in a large part, Chris, I mean, I, I look at it this way. Um, for the most part, the the organizations that are out there that want to, you know, look forward and scale and get to a successful commercial launch, it the idea of sort of scaling a drug is it, much like scaling an organization in my mind. And oftentimes I'll use the the simple example of, of rising bread. Um, you know, through the pandemic, I know that we we made, you know, a lot of a lot of sourdough while we were um, you know, all cooped up uh, you know, in the during the pandemic. And um you can't get that yeast and the bread to to rise, you know, within minutes. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. And I would say the same thing. And you and I've had this conversation before about your know, commercial launch. I mean, whenever you see a really successful commercial launch, it typically, you know, started much, much more, much, much earlier than when people were ever even, you know, thinking about it. But luckily they, you know, somebody had this idea and said, Hey, look, we should probably, you know, get started with this, you know, a year or, you know, at, you know, minimum like nine months, uh, you know, in advance of, of the actual launch. Um, but if you've got 18 months before you're, you know, getting ready to start, what a great time to sort of hash out the early plan and make sure that you've got everything lined up to, to get started. If you get to that, you know, six months or under time period, I would imagine number one, your job, you know, knowing where you focus a lot more on the commercial launch side gets a lot harder but also, you know, from if somebody were to say, hey, look, you know, we need process efficiencies or we need the organization to move faster because, uh, you know, we, we didn't plan properly. Um, oftentimes, even for me, that's a tough spot to be in. I mean, I, I, I as a as a leader now of a, of a consulting organization and a digital marketing agency, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, how we would pull that off quite quickly. So. Yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, we're, we're, we recommend with clients, depending on what type of asset they're developing, uh, two to three years before expected uh, filing and approval is, is standard now. If you wait to six months and give us a call, it's, it's almost too late to be able to change the inflection point of that launch. It has to be you're making strategic decisions earlier on in development now that have to come out. And with advanced therapies like cell therapies and gene therapies, it takes 12 to 18 months just to operationalize a plan. So let alone develop it and you know, work with this with work with the academic centers and onboard them and so forth. So all those are all good points. I wonder, Don, could you just share your contact information? What's the best way if our listeners want to get in touch with you and talk more about a process improvement project they might have or a scaling problem they're having and they, they want to talk to you? How do they reach you? The number one best way would be to go to go to my website, 5280lsc.com and, uh, you know, hit the contact button there. Um, I'm easy to find through my entire life. I've never had something slash Don Davis. And so on LinkedIn, I am 
linkedin.com and then uh, the the forward slash Don Davis, you know, on LinkedIn. But that's the only place where I was able to ever have the slash Don Davis. And then so, yeah, thankful to have that. So LinkedIn's another good way to, way to find you. I know that you're you're active there as well. So look, it's been a pleasure. Love talking about the quality world and the operational world and, and process improvement uh, projects with you. And wish you best uh, and continued success in your in your work, Don. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. And same to you. I want to thank our sponsor, Pixacore. Pixacore delivers deeply personalized, data-driven solutions that enliven the customer experience. The company can help you navigate the unique needs of HCPs and patients with targeted agile strategies aligned with their unique treatment journeys to drive measurable engagement results. I recommend you check them out at pixacore.com.